0: When they nailed him to the tree Tremble, tremble, were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when he rose up from the grave? Were you there when he rose up from the grave?
1: Now I can be like one of those charismatic preachers.
0: <laughs>
1: I can just march anywhere I want to. Again.
0: <clears throat>
1: well, I was, uh, as the pastor was talking this morning about this, the resurrection matter, I thought back to, uh, I don't know if it was Art Linkletter or Candy Camera, where they were interviewing little children and they asked the one little child uh, <clears throat> what uh, Groundhog's Day was. And uh, Kids, you know, how they get things mixed up. And he said, well, groundhog day was the day that Jesus came out of the tomb and looked at his shadow. <laughs> and I thought, well, he had the wrong holiday, but that's exactly what happened on Easter. When Jesus came out of the tomb, if the sun was shining, he would have seen a shadow cast on the ground. Because his body was raised from the dead. It wasn't that he just lived spiritually, so it's very significant, very important. Well, today we're going to turn over to Luke chapter 6, so take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to cover the first 11 verses of Luke 6. And these verses can be divided between verses 1 and 5 and verses 6 through 11, and they speak of two events. The first event speaks of something that takes place in a grain field where the disciples pick grain. And the second event deals with Jesus healing the man with the withered arm. Now, to give you a little bit of background so you understand what's happening here, is that after John the Baptist baptized Jesus, which signified that Jesus was being inaugurated as Israel's king. It was an anointing service. It was God's way of saying Jesus is the King. And after he launched out his launched his ministry in Luke chapter four, remember when he said, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, is, uh, anointed me to uh, proclaim the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to Uh, restore the sight of the blind. You're familiar with that passage. That's probably the most important passage in Luke's gospel, by the way. Uh, And then he said this, today, this scripture, which he was quoting from Isaiah 61, has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, those things that the Old Testament prophets spoke about that would happen when the kingdom of God arrived is happening. And then, in chapters 4 through 6, we have a whole series of events events that confirm that the kingdom has arrived in a special way, in some way, okay? So, what I want to do is I want us to look at these two events, and I want you to notice some common features, first of all. First of all, in both of these sections, we see that the emphasis is on the Sabbath. Look in verse 1. It happened on the Sabbath. You see that? happened on the Sabbath. In verse 2, look at the last word of that verse. On the day of the Sabbath. Look down at verse 5. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And then you go down to the next event, verse 6. It happened on another Sabbath. Look at verse 7. It says the Pharisees were checking to see if he'd heal on the Sabbath. Again in verse 9. I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath? So both sections, the emphasis is on the Sabbath. And the emphasis is on a question. Okay? And it's a question regarding what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. If you look at verse 2, they ask this. What you're doing is not lawful on the Sabbath. They ask this question. Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Again in verse 4. Notice how that ends. It ends with a question mark. Which is not lawful? So, and then you see that. So here we have this issue of lawfulness. It's not lawful. And then down in verse 9, I will ask you one more thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath? So what we have is we have the emphasis on the Sabbath and the emphasis is on what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. Okay? So the two events Taking grain from the farm or the grain field and the healing of the withered man's arms are only props to answer the question, what's lawful on the Sabbath? And we could use any kind of events, but those are the two events that are going to set this up. So here's how we're going to divide this section. Verses 1 through 5, we're going to see that Jesus claims authority To be Lord over the Sabbath. He claims authority over the Sabbath. And then in verses 6 through 10, he demonstrates his authority over the Sabbath. Verses 1 through 5, he claims authority over the Sabbath. Verses 6 through 10, he illustrates or he demonstrates his authority over the Sabbath. And then verse 11 is just the conclusion. So let's look at event number 1. It says, now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first, or most translations just say on another Sabbath, that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And so they took uh, maybe an ear of corn or grain, and they went like this, and they rubbed it in their hands and knocked off the, the kernels of wheat or corn or whatever it was. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now we know from the Old Testament, it was permissible to pick grain from someone else's field. If you were a traveler and you got hungry, you could go to the edge of someone's cornfield or wheat field, and you could pick grain. So that was lawful based on Deuteronomy chapter 23. The question is, was it lawful to do that on the Sabbath? Because in Exodus it says, you should not work on the Sabbath. And these people picked grain, and you couldn't even work on the Sabbath during harvest season. If you were harvesting your crops on Saturday, you stopped. You took the day off. And here these guys were picking grain. They were rolling it in their hands. The dross was falling off. They got the kernels. They ate it. And the Pharisees interpret this to be harvesting, threshing, winnowing, and eating. And they're saying, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So it's really the question is not what they did. You can pick grain from somebody's field. The question is when you do it. And so that's the accusation. You're doing something that's not lawful on the Sabbath. Does that make sense? Verse 3. But Jesus answered them. Now, very interestingly, the Pharisees probably spoke to the disciples in verse 2. See, it says they asked them, they said to them, but Jesus does the answering. He takes the position of the master and he takes the responsibility for his disciples and he answers and he says... Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, and of course they read it. Uh, Jesus is using sarcasm here. They read it, but what he's saying is they didn't understand it. Haven't you even read You know, you've, you've done that to people when you want to make a point. And that's what Jesus is doing. They read it, but they don't understand it. So look what he says. How he, that's David, went into the house of God. That would be the tabernacle. The temple wasn't built yet. He took and he ate the showbread. And also gave some to those who were with him. Which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And yet David did it. What's David doing in the holy place? Where only a priest can go. And yet he did it. No one could go into the holy place and eat the bread on the table, called the table of showbread, except the priest. He did what was not lawful. So that's the question that Jesus asked. How come he did it? Now, if Jesus asked that to the Pharisees, if he said to the Pharisees, well, what David did, was it lawful to do? What do you think their answer would have been? No, only a priest can go into the holy place. Or they may have said, well, since it was extenuating circumstances and maybe the guys were really hungry and there was nothing else to get or any place to get it, and they went in maybe in those extenuating circumstances, but normally the answer would be no, what he did was unlawful. But maybe what Jesus really wants them to do is ponder this thing a little deeper. What if I told you that David was not only the king of Israel, but he was a priest? And if he were a priest, then he would have the right to go into the holy place and do whatever he wants to do. Do you know that Psalm 110 says David is a priest? It's a psalm that's re- that's uh, repeated in the New Testament and that's applied to Jesus, but in its original context, it spoke of King David, and I want to show that to you, take you to one passage in the Old Testament, Psalm 110. Now, this will change the whole meaning of the passage if this theory is right. I'm going to give you... In Psalm 110, uh... Notice it's called a Psalm of David. And God speaks to David. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. I'll make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. And so here we see that David is a king. David is to rule in the midst of his enemies. But look at verse 4. Then the Lord has sworn and will not relent. Look what he says to King David. You are a what? A priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. And so what we have is we have God defining David as a priest. Not a Levitical priest, but he's a priest. After whose order? Melchizedek. Who else was a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Jesus was. Remember Melchizedek over in Genesis? It says he was two things. He was a king and a priest. He was the king of Salem. You remember that? In other words, he was the king of Jerusalem. And who was the king of Jerusalem in David's day? David. But he was also a priest. What kind? priest after the order of Melchizedek. And what's Jesus? A priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what you have here is if David went in and ate from the table of showbread, would it have been unlawful if he were a priest? And the answer is what? No, No, not if he were a priest he would have all legal rights to do that. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. And just as David had the right to go in and eat the bread in the holy place, so I and my disciples had the right to glean from this field on the Sabbath. And I think that's the argument that he's making here. Because then look what he says. Verse 5. And he said to them, The Son of Man. This is back in Luke chapter 6. He said the Son of Man is also the Lord of what? The Sabbath. That means He can do what He wants to do. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath, Jesus didn't have to keep the Sabbath because He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Just like if I... uh, Set a curfew for my children. Ten o'clock at night you have to be in. That's the curfew. Do I have to keep the curfew? No, I'm the one that set the curfew. And I didn't set it for myself. Guess who I set it for? I set it for my children. Jesus claims authority over the Sabbath. Based on what? Look at the title. He calls himself what? The Son of Man is Lord. Do you see that? Who is Lord? The Son of Man is Lord. What does that phrase, Son of Man, mean? Remember, we were in the book of Daniel. Remember, there's a Son of Man who goes into heaven. He receives a kingdom from his Father. And this is a Messianic title. And it means the Messiah. The Messiah is the Lord over the Sabbath. And so, he's the Son of Man. He is the Messiah who is been anointed as king over God's kingdom. And he's also been made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so he's basically saying I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I don't have to keep that Sabbath law." Now look at verse 6. Now he's going to demonstrate his authority over the Sabbath. He claimed his authority. Now he'll demonstrate it. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and he taught just as he normally did and a man was there whose right hand was withered and the indication is this man was right-handed and this is the hand that he needed to make a living and as a result he couldn't because he had an injury or a palsy or something. Now to put it in perspective so that we can get this picture imagine one of our soldiers Now, we're going to imagine that this soldier lives back in Jesus' time. We're going to mix time periods, but I think you can do it in your mind. One of our soldiers has come back from Iraq, and he has an arm injury. Maybe he was a jeweler. Maybe he was an artist. Maybe he was a master craftsman, and he needed the use of his right hand and his right arm, but it has been injured as a result of the war in Iraq. And he goes to the synagogue on Saturday to hear Jesus teach. Okay, there's the picture for you. Okay, If you think of it that way, you can sort of really get this picture. Now look at verse 7. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Why did they do that? That they might find an accusation against him. Every time we've seen the Pharisees so far in Luke's gospel, it's in a negative light, isn't it? They're here for one reason, they're on a spy mission. They have a question. The issue is, will he heal? Will he heal that man's arm on the Sabbath? Now, remember this. The rule of the Sabbath is you couldn't work on the Sabbath, and the only time you could do anything on the Sabbath is if it involved a life-threatening situation. If someone had been beaten to the, you know, within an inch of their life and you came along, well, you could pick them up and put them over your shoulder and take them to the doctor. That was a life-threatening situation. You could do that on the Sabbath. This isn't life-threatening. Man has an arm injury. Jesus could have waited until Sunday to heal him. Doesn't have to heal him on the Sabbath. And they're coming to see if he'll do it on the Sabbath so that they might, what's it say? Accuse him. Very interesting word. It's a legal word. 22 out of the 23 times it's used in the New Testament. It deals with bringing people up on charges, like criminal charges. They're going to bring him before the Sanhedrin's. what they want to do. And they're going to determine whether his ministry is valid or whether it's not. And so they want to charge him for something. Now look at verse 8. It said, But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered arm, Arise and stand here. And he rose and he stood. Now I want to show you two things. First of all, notice it says he knew their thoughts. Do you remember that? you remember us dealing with that back in chapter 2? Look back in chapter 2. You'll remember this. This was a, uh, the angel's message, I believe, to or it was uh, Simeon's message, or one of the angel's messages to Mary, I'm not sure which. I think it was Simeon giving a prophecy. And he talks about Jesus. And look at verse 35. It says, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own so also, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You see that? The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now go back to chapter 6, and notice what it says about Jesus there in verse 8. He knew their thoughts. They were there to accuse Him. They didn't say that. They didn't announce it. But their thoughts were revealed. So Jesus knows the evil intents of these individuals. And so what does he ask the guy to do? Stand up. So here's the guy. Imagine here's the soldier, and he stands up in the middle of a room like this, not saying anything. And all eyes are on the soldier, on this man with the rule of the And there's total silence. And the people were saying, I wonder what's going to happen. It's bringing this story to a moment of real drama. And everybody wonders what's going to happen. Then Jesus said to them, to the Pharisees, I want to ask you something. I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it. Notice how he frames the question. There's no wiggle room in here. It's an either or situation. See? Notice the question. Is it lawful to do good? Is it lawful to heal? That'd be something good, wouldn't it? Or to do evil? Well, we know it's not lawful to do evil, but is it lawful to do good? Well, they'd have to say what? Yeah, it's lawful to do good. Or to save life or to destroy it. Well, yes, it's to save life. Well, the Jewish concept of salvation was more than just your soul goes to heaven, as we heard today in the sermon. The Jewish concept of salvation was restoration of the whole person. So Jesus is saying, is it okay to restore someone and in a salvific way? Now, remember that the kingdom of God is all about restoration. What happens? The blind see. The deaf hear. The lame leap. See, in the kingdom of God, there won't be any infirmities. There'll be no sickness in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, the kingdom has already arrived today. It's being fulfilled. Not in its totality, but we can get little glimpses into the kingdom and what it's going to be like. And Jesus gives us little glimpses by healing a person here and healing a person there and raising a body here and raising a body there. And we're getting little glimpses into what the ultimate kingdom is going to be about. And so Jesus asked them, is that okay uh, to do good and to restore? And the answer, of course, is yes, we should always be doing good. And today it's being fulfilled, and Sabbath is one of the days just happens to be a Saturday. Was well, Saturday today. How about Sunday? Is that today? Is Monday today? Every day is today that you live in. And so he says it should be fulfilled. Now look what he says in verse 10. And when he looked around at them all, and I think that would have been a very interesting look, don't you? He's watching at everybody and just, just surveys the room. And uh, maybe after he asks the question, they don't open their mouth and answer it. He looks around and maybe he smiles. Because, (laughs) here's this man standing there and everybody's just waiting to see what's going to happen. So he looks around. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He asked the man to do something that he cannot do. This man has absolutely no power to stretch out his hand. But he says, I want you to stretch it out anyway. Act as if you can just, well, I haven't been able to stretch. just act as if you can, and obey me, <coughs> and the man obeys, and guess what happens? The arm comes out, and it's absolutely whole. Amen. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. <coughs> now look at the reaction. So now we see he is not only claims to have authority over the Sabbath, he demonstrates his authority he heals here's the reaction Uh, you know you've got a real case when you have the word but there, right? so i'm gonna say it the way you should we should all read it, but (laughs) but they were filled with rage and this means more than furious, some of your translations say furious, this means more than anger This means mindless rage. This means, uh, as we say today, going ballistic. They go absolutely crazy over this situation. They get so angry that you can see their blood pressure rise. And then look what they did. They discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, I hope they weren't plotting this on the Sabbath, don't you? (laughs) Do you think this just happens to show the hypocrisy of these people? These people who come to judge Jesus, they can make or break his ministry. They are like movie critics. They're like Broadway critics. One bad word from the New York Times and guess what? You're off Broadway real quick. They can make or break. They've come to make or break Jesus' ministry and they can't do it. Because of the way he words things and his questions, they are absolutely left speechless. And so now they plot on the Sabbath. Wait, what did Jesus, what was his question? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or what? What are they doing on the Sabbath? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to save life or? What are they planning on doing? You see, this is what Luke wants you to see. If you don't see that, then you've missed what Luke wants you to see. And Luke's audience, which also now includes us, knows that in time their plot is played out and Jesus indeed is destroyed. And he is turned over to the Roman government And he is executed as a criminal. And they kill him on a Friday so they can celebrate their Sabbath. Remember, they put him on the cross before sundown on Friday so they could sit back and rest on the Sabbath. But he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and on Sunday morning he came out of the grave proving that he's not only the Lord of the Sabbath, but he's the Lord over death. He has authority not only over the Sabbath, but he has authority over death itself. And he comes out of that tomb showing that the Son of Man is not only Lord over the Sabbath, he's the Lord over all. And all their plots and devices are overturned. Now let me give you a couple lessons here. Lesson number one. There will always be people who are so much concerned over outward observances that they will try to hinder you from doing good to people that they consider outcast. They want you on their team and they want you to do things your way and they're so concerned about outward observances and how things look. And when we do things in a certain order, but they will hinder you from helping the needy. It's been that way from the beginning, and it will continue to be that way. Lesson number two. Remember when Luke writes this book, it's 30 years after the fact. These things take place somewhere around 27, 28, 29, 30 AD. Luke's writing 30 years later. He's writing to an audience that knows what's happened already. They know that Jesus has been put to death, but they also know that he has been resurrected. And he's writing to an audience 30 years later about these events. Particularly to a Gentile audience. Remember, he's writing to Theophilus, a Greek, a Gentile. And it's Gentiles who are reading his gospel, who are in Gentile churches, that are worshiping on Sunday, and there are Jews that are trying to get them to go back under the law and worship on Saturday, and Luke is using this to show them that no, we don't worship on Saturday. Jesus is the Lord over all, and he rose on Sunday, and it's okay to worship on Sunday. We don't have to fall back under the rule of the Judaizers and people who want us to conform to an old method. We are in the kingdom, which is beyond that. We'll talk about that as well within point number three. The Jewish Sabbath, when it was observed, was observed as an anticipation of the millennial reign of the Messiah. Jews always divided history. They said there was going to be 7,000 years of history. 6,000 years when you work, take dominion over the earth, and then the last 1,000 years, and remember, thousand years is like a day with the Lord and that would be the millennial day of rest. Observing the Sabbath always was observed in the anticipation. It always pointed to the messianic age and that day of rest. When Jesus came And he was baptized by John and anointed by God as his king. He said, today the scriptures are fulfilled. Already the kingdom is breaking in. It's not here in its fullness, but it's breaking in. And as Christians, we are already observing in microcosm the rest that God has for his people. And that rest is found in Jesus Jesus is our Sabbath. We find our rest in him. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. So we find our rest in Christ. We don't find our rest in a day. We don't find our rest in Sabbath. Next week, we pick up with Jesus choosing the 12 apostles, and then he goes with these 12 apostles, and he teaches The Sermon on the Mount, which includes the Beatitudes, and that's what we'll pick up next week. Father, we thank you for uh, this time that we could spend in your word. We thank you for this Easter morning and what it means to us that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. He has given us a day of celebration. We're not under the old system anymore the old dispensation which has passed away, the law, we're now under grace. And the kingdom represents a new age, and we have a new day where we come and we worship. Oh, Lord, help us not to get caught up in the law, get caught up in outward observances. Help us to find the spirit of the law that we're to follow. Help us to follow Jesus in his kingdom ministry. In his name we pray, Amen. amen.